welcome to the Jazz Matters podcast. I'm Darren Harper. Thank you for joining me. Last time out, we celebrated our 10th episode by speaking with the wonderful Georgia Mancio about her new album, Finding Home, with Kate Williams and her 4 Plus 3 project. Head over to jazzmatters.net to find that episode and all previous episodes of our podcast. Don't forget, you can hear our podcast on Jazz Bites Radio three times every week. Head over to jazzbytesradio.com to find all of the showtimes. In episode 11, we head back across the Atlantic. Previous guests from the USA have included bassist Mark Wade, saxophonist James Brandon Lewis, and the jazzigator and co-owner of Jazz Bites Radio herself, Anthea Redmond. And this time out, we keep the standard just as high as we learn more about the absolutely sensational vocalist and saxophonist Camille Thurman. Camille is a lady making a huge name for herself across the international jazz scene, playing with and recently returning from an international tour with the one and only Wynton Marsalis and the jazz at the Lincoln Orchestra. Her 2018 album Waiting for the Sunrise is simply stunning. But as always, before we throw ourselves into Camille's world, let's enjoy some of her music. One of my personal favourite tracks from Waiting for the Sunrise, this is Camille's take on the Jimmy McHugh and Harold Adamson classic, I Just Found Out About Love. I just found out about love and I like it, yes I like it. I like what love has been doing to me. I hold you close in my arms and I like it, yes I like it. Shadow, you do, 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 you do
Camille Thurman grew up in the New York community of St Albans, Queens. As a young girl, she recalls her mother researching the local area, which was also home of some jazz giants such as, amongst others, Lena Horne, Count Basie and Milt Hinton. Exposure to this music formed an early love of jazz in Camille. As a musician, she actually started out playing the flute and became a saxophonist almost entirely by accident. But once she started, there was no stopping her. Um, the saxophone was kind of an accident because um, my mother confiscated a mouthpiece from a student. She was a school teacher. And I thought it was a clarinet mouthpiece. And I went to my grade school teacher and I was like, hey, is it possible to get a clarinet to try out? Because I got this really cool mouthpiece. And he was like, actually, it's not a clarinet mouthpiece. It's a saxophone mouthpiece. And my eyes just lit up. And he started talking to me about how if I play one instrument in the Woodwind family, I could play everything. And that just sparked my interest, and I was like, okay, I'm going to be a woodwind player. Camille went on to study at LaGuardia High School of Music, Art and Performing Arts, where she studied the saxophone and music theory. As she got older, she started studying with some jazz greats, such as George Coleman and Bill Saxton. However, the biggest influence on her development as a jazz musician were those early experiences listening to music at home. I listened a lot to my mom and to records. My mom, she was a singer, and she would always sing around the house. And my father, he would always play a lot of Anita Baker and Mariah Carey. That was popular at the time. And I would, you know, jump on the bed trying to mimic Mariah doing her whistle tones. But for me, the training actually came from the records. Just listening to as much music as I could and trying to... I guess in a way mimic what I was listening to. I remember when I was younger and I started playing the flute, I was really into Joe Farrell and um, Chick Corea's Return to Forever. And I was learning Spain and I was trying to figure out what he was doing and analyze his solo. And I was singing the solo and then trying to play it and play it and sing it and back and forth. And that's how I learned how to transcribe. That's how I learned how to understand theory. Um, for the most part, my training was literally by ear. If you speak to Camille about people who have been an inspiration to her, the list is a long one. She is very quick to credit some of the amazing people she has studied under over the years, and as one would expect, there's a lengthy list of jazz legends. However, as a vocalist and saxophonist, there are two names that really stand out in her story. One of those people is the legendary tenor saxophonist Dexter Gordon, when Camille first heard Dexter play, she was blown away by the huge sound he got out of his instrument, the sheer level of technical ability and confidence that radiated from him convinced Camille that the tenor saxophone was the instrument for her, with ambitions of replicating that huge Dexter Gordon sound. Camille certainly set the bar high, especially as the tenor saxophone was nearly as big as she was, and Dexter also had the benefit of a six-foot, six-inch frame. But if a desire to emulate Dexter Gordon was what pushed Camille to master the saxophone, she set that bar equally as high as a vocalist. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 
And the other inspiration, I would say, is Sarah Vaughn. Um, I used to pretend that I was Sarah. I would come home from school, take my hairbrush and sing in front of a mirror, pretending like I was her in a concert hall singing. Um, her creativeness and her mastery, but then also her range is what really inspired me to sing. And I, I didn't have intentions on becoming a singer. I just wanted to absorb as much music as I could, whether it was playing or singing, and I was just doing it. And she just showed me that the limits were just endless because her range was huge. Her ideas was huge, was incredible. She was able to mimic her, her voice like a horn or even participate in the music like a horn player. And then, you know, her phrasing was just creative and I, I wanted to be that free. It was her and Dexter that really made me want to play. Now in a previous episode of our podcast, we spoke with jazz author Sammy Stein about, amongst other things, her new book, Women in Jazz. Something that came out whilst working on that episode was that when asked to name some famous female jazz performers, many people will launch into a list of legendary female jazz singers and rightly so. Now, equality in jazz has come a long way in recent years, and the jazz scene has been blessed with many incredible female instrumentalists, very much receiving the acclaim that they deserve. But here, in Camille, we have something that is still quite rare. A highly accomplished saxophonist with a simply incredible vocal talent. As a female double threat, I was really interested in hearing Camille's experiences, does she consider herself to be a singer who plays or a player who sings? And equally, do others have their own opinions on this? And do people almost try to make this decision for her? Well, it's, it's funny because for a long time I kept it a secret being a vocalist. I only played because I wanted to be respected as an instrumentalist. Um, as a young woman coming up on a scene, especially in my, my early, early years of playing an instrument, I, it was it was pretty rough, um, whether it was in school or even outside. I remember a guy, he pulled me aside and was like, do you really play that thing? And I wanted to look at him like he was crazy because I was like, well, no, I just picked up a random instrument and decided to carry it on my back and just walk around New York City with it. Um, when you encounter that as a young woman and you're, you're trying to find yourself and you're trying to figure out your identity, you're trying to build your confidence, you know, sometimes it could be frustrating because it's like, why can't a woman be accepted for playing an instrument one? And why can't she be respected first for being a great player rather than be singled out because she's a girl, like it's a unicorn? I mean, it's great to be a woman and to play wonderfully. And I understand the history of this music and the fact that many women we're unfortunately not given the same opportunities that many of us today have experienced. But at the same time, whether or not a person can play should not be based on their gender. And I kept it a secret that I was singing because I figured, well, if I sing, people are going to be like, well, you don't have to play. Put the horn down and just sing. Well, no, I actually play. Um, I wanted to make sure that, one, I could prove myself to be uh, a study, a student of the instrument and, and, and master it to a level so that I'm able to communicate and express myself on that level that 
of the people that inspired me, like Dexter and Train and Gene Ammons and uh, Jug and so many other great people, Wayne Shorter. But then also at the same time, I knew I respected vocalists. To be a singer, you have to study. To be a saxophonist, you have to study. And I didn't want to dibble and dabble and be a jack-of-all-trades and master of nothing. So for a while, I kept it a secret. And then it wasn't until I got into college that I started to experiment with doing both. And my mentors, uh, Mimi Jones and Anton Roney, both encouraged me and said, look, you can do both really, really good. Why aren't you using it? And I told them my, my, my reasoning. And they were like, forget it. <laughs> you could do both at a high level. If you never played and nobody ever knew it, they would think you were an amazing vocalist. If you never sang and you played only, they would think you were a great, vocal, a great instrumentalist. So why not do both? It makes you unique. And if you think about it, you'll be continuing the tradition of Vladia Snow, Louis Jordan, Louis Armstrong, and so many other great instrumentalists and vocalists who did the same. Um, people, they are surprised <laughs> if I, you know, say for instance, play a set, like I'll never forget when we were touring with Wynton Marsalis in the Jazz and Lincoln Center Orchestra, I played for the majority of the time because that's my position in the band, tenor saxophone. And they decided to, uh, feature me on a tune where I got to sing and play. And it shocked the pants off of a lot of people in the audience. And they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that you could sing too. And you played and you sang. And I, you know, it was kind of funny seeing how they would react because, um, you know, sometimes maybe it was a person that came to the show once or twice or three times. And it was just like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Thank you. That was just, that made my day. And it makes me kind of feel good <laughs> to be able to um, have somebody come to you and tell you that they enjoy themselves. And um, I, I am forever grateful for being able to do both. And I, I think of myself as both. I'm a vocalist and I'm a saxophonist. Um, I try to create music and I try to use those two vehicles as a means of communicating and connecting with the people and, of course, sharing this gift and hopefully inspiring and uplifting the people that listen. In 2017, Camille released an album on Chesky Records, Inside the Moment. And a year later, they approached her again, with a view to releasing another. The next record became what we now know as the stunning album, Waiting for the Sunrise. This album really is a celebration of Camille's voice. She glides through some well-known, carefully chosen tracks with exquisite ease, often surprising the ear with her exceptional vocal scatting. This really has become a bit of a trademark of Camille's sound, although she is always careful not to overplay it. Instead, it is used masterfully to really hold the listener's ear. But when building a track list of standards and other reinventions of well-known tracks, it can be difficult to deliver an album with real heart and depth. But Waiting for the Sunrise delivers this in spades. With a band made up of some jazz royalty with Cecile McBee, Steve Williams, Jack Wilkins and Jeremy Pelt, the album was set up from the start to impress. But what was the story that Camille wanted to tell? And what message does she want the listener to take away? I picked the songs that I felt like made me fall in love with jazz and singing. And 
the idea was to have that theme of after something that might be painful or, ha- or, or hurtful or, or sorrowful, there's some type of joy and hope. And for me, what brought me joy during my uh, tough moments in, you know, being a musician and doing this as, as my career was thinking about the people that inspired me. Their, their music uplifted me, and I wanted to pick tunes that could do the same for others. So I picked I'm On Your Side, which was featured by Angela Bofield. Of course, The Nearness of You, which was done by Sarah. That's like one of the first ballads I ever learned. And in September in the Rain, that's like another classic that Sarah did. I wanted to do um, If You Love Me, which was a tune covered by the great Shirley Horn, and Steve actually recorded that with her. And we threw in a couple of other standards as well as some um, tunes that you know, you might recognize like after you've gone and wanted some of these days that I wanted to rearrange and put my own stamp on there. I hope that the listener gets to hear this music, whether they're a jazz jazz lover or not a jazz fan. I was hoping that they would just fall in love with the record and be able to hear, uh, I guess, the pureness of that moment that we were having together and, and in that church recording um it was such a great 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 moment recording with those amazing musicians and um i'm so happy we were able to do it and i hope that the spirit and energy of that procession was able to transcend and the listener be able to to take that with them and, and really enjoy the record So in a year that has seen Camille complete a full season with the Jazz at the Lincoln Orchestra playing all over the world, release a brilliant album and continue to establish herself as a huge name in the world of jazz, how does one follow that up? What is in the pipeline for Camille over the coming 12 months and is there anything she is particularly excited about? I'm looking forward to uh, doing another season with the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra and the tennis saxophone chair for 2019-2020. And I'm also looking forward to releasing a project that I've been really excited about that I've uh, collaborated with this amazing drummer, musician, um, Daryl Green, and his trio. We worked on a project featuring some of the music of Horace Silver as well as some of our own takes of, of you know, what we were inspired by from listening to him. And and I'm hoping that the record will be out soon. That's what I'm really excited about. It's so much fun. It features Daryl Green on the drums, Rashawn Carter on bass, and David Bryan on piano. And as it also features Regina Carter. She was a special guest on violin and also Wallace Roney, who um, was a featured guest as well on that session.
track of episode 11 taken from Camille's album Waiting for the Sunrise that was Camille's own take on the Cole Porter classic Easy to Love. That's all we've got time for this time around. A huge thank you to Camille for taking part. I reached out to Camille at an extremely busy time for her over the last few months so it's taken some time to get this episode together but I was certain that Camille had a great story to share and I hope you agree she's been absolutely worth the wait. If you want to find out more about Camille or sign up to her regular newsletter, you can do so at camilletherman.music.com and you can follow her on Twitter and Instagram by searching Camille Thurman. The links, of course, will be in the show notes for those listening on a podcast platform. Please do check out jazzmatters.net to find out more about our project. It is so much more than just this podcast. You can use the links there to support us and sign up to our mailing list to get the most up-to-date information. We'll be back in two weeks' time where we'll be keeping things sexy, moving from one of Jazz's brilliant young guns to a man who has been a real powerhouse of the international jazz scene for over 25 years. I speak, of course, of the one and only Ray Gelato. Do join us for that. You won't be disappointed. But until then, thank you and goodbye. Thanks so much, Darren, for having me. 